We're going to be in Numbers chapter 23, so if you want to open your Bibles to Numbers chapter 23, that's where we're going to be picking up our verse by verse through the Bible and through the books of Moses as we continue to progress and uh, plow through the book of Numbers, which has been really a wonderful time for me, as I'm sure you would have the same perspective. God's really been speaking to us, and I've really enjoyed our time in Numbers. Just a couple quick things. Uh, we will be going through three chapters tonight. We're not in a hurry, but we're, you know, we're, we're going through three we have Balaam and Balak, and we left off last week with part one of Balaam and Balak and the talking donkey and uh, kicking against the goads and just really pushing the boundaries of what God's called you to do and looking for something more than what is already told you, which is obvious and clear. So we covered that verse by verse last week, and we covered it topically on Saturday night. So as we go forward from Balak and Balaam, Balak is the king of Moab, modern Jordan, on the east side of the Jordan River. The nation of Israel... Two plus million people have come up that side. They've had three victories against kings. The first Canaanite guy they took on in the south. Then Sihon and Og, the two giants who picked a fight with them. And they had no intention of going to war with Moab. They're just like, hey, we're just here temporarily. We're going across the river into our promised land that God's given us. And God had a plan for Moab, and it's revealed to us in the book of Deuteronomy. When we get there, it was never the intention to go to war with Moab. But Moab came out and went to war with Israel. And so Balak... He sees how powerful Israel is, and instead of looking to the Lord or even asking Moses what your intention is, which is what other kings did, he sent for Balaam the prophet. And Balaam is this mystery prophet that we don't know much about. He just comes out of nowhere, way to the north, Syria, modern Iraq, that area. And he obviously knows the Lord, much like other people in the Old Testament knew the Lord but weren't part of the covenant. For example, Job knew the Lord, and he wasn't part of the Mosaic covenant or Abrahamic covenant. Melchizedek served the Lord if he wasn't the Lord himself when he appeared to Abraham. He's outside of that as well. And so we just have these times where people come into the picture in the Word of God in the Old Testament that, that God is using them or God's speaking to them or speaking through them. And that's what we have here with Balaam, that he was a prophet is no doubt. So we don't get an introduction to him. We just are, it's just presumed and known that he's a prophet. And in the background of his situation, Balak's perspective on Balaam is you hire this guy, he blesses people, they're blessed. And if he curses people, they're cursed. He's got like supernatural power. He's got like, you know, the inside track with the, the big guy upstairs or something like that kind of perspective when people get religious or superstitious. And they sent, he sent his lords with money with the prophet for hire for a prophet. He was for hire to come bless or curse. And he would say later on in the text we'll see tonight, the use of sorcery, that there's just supernatural things associated with Balaam. He's a bit of an enigma to us, but we learn more about him as we go forward in the Bible. So tonight, as we pick it up, he has been told by the Lord, don't go with them, don't curse Israel, because I've blessed Israel. He went anyways. The Lord permitted him to go in pursuit of these things, but say only what I tell you to say. And so tonight, we see him going forward on that. The talking donkey, his donkey spoke with the voice of a man. The New Testament affirms it to restrain him when the Lord appeared to him on the way to stop him. And it, there's so much that's hard to wrap our mind around, but we know it's all there, and it really happened this way. He's an enigma, a very interesting person. But there are some very clear practical lessons before we're done tonight that we'll know exactly what this story is all about for us in 2021 as the body of Christ. So tonight as we pick it up, he's on top of the hill. It says that the last verse of chapter 22 said that Balak took Balaam and brought him to the high places of Baal, the worship of the false god, that from there he might observe the extent of the people of Israel and then pronounce curses on them. So now it's showtime. Chapter 23, verse 1. Then Balaam said to Balak, Build seven altars for me here and prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. 
And Balak did just as Balaam had spoken. And Balak and Balaam offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Then Balaam said to Balak, Stand by your burnt offering, and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet with me. And whatever he shows me, I will tell you. So he went to a desolate height, and God met Balaam. And he said to him, I prepared seven altars, and I've offered on each altar a bull and a ram. Then the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak. So he returned to him, and there he was, standing by his burnt offering, he and all the princes of Moab. And he took up his oracle and said, Balak, king of Moab, has brought me from Aram, from the mountains of the east. Come curse Jacob for me, and come denounce Israel. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the rocks I see him, that is Israel, and from the hills I behold him. There, a people dwelling alone, not reckoning itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob, or number one-fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous, and let my end be like his. And Balak says to Balaam, what have you done to me? I I took you to curse my enemies, and look, you've blessed them bountifully. So he answered and said, that is Balaam, must I not take heed to speak what the Lord has put in my mouth? And so here this cycle begins. This is going to happen four times. Well, three in the bonus one, the fourth. There's a progression here that's very interesting. And we'll see it unfold as we go through these four prophecies or four oracles of the Lord through Balaam to Balak and ultimately for the eternal word of God for all of us. So here's the first thing he's entrusted to do. Balak's there with his princes. They offered him all this money, all this wealth all these riches, and, you know, I'm, I can only speak what the Lord tells me. And so the Lord met him. This is, this is what's fascinating. The Lord met him and put a word in his mouth. That's what it says in verse 5. And so we have a little application here, verse 8, where he says, How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? That's a really good question. See, God is a blessing God, and there's things he's blessed, and there's things he curses. Because God is light and him is no darkness at all. There's no light or turning with the Father of lights. We know that. He's not one thing today and another thing tomorrow and another thing next year. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So for us, what we always want to do is we want to put ourselves where the blessings are. We want to put ourselves where God blesses. And we want to keep ourselves from where God curses or where there's chastening. We want to stay away from those things that cause heartache, sorrow, and death that are self-inflicted. And we want to move toward those choices that bless us and prosper us and keep us in the good things of God. In other words, we want to walk toward and in the things of the Spirit. And we want to recognize and stay away from the things of the flesh. We want to move toward the things that the Holy Spirit is pouring out on and baptizing us and empowering us in. And we want to stay away from the things that quench and grieve the Holy Spirit. So in this question, Balaam says, how can I curse what God has blessed? Right. So... No matter, and the song set was very interesting from Danny tonight, by the way, too. It really was about, it really was a triumphant series of songs about the church and who we are in 2021, regardless of what anyone thinks of us. And when he's talking about the enemies, uh, you know, in the second song that we sing, I naturally picture a lot of enemies that hate the church and hate you and me for who we are and what we believe. They don't hate me personally or hate you personally. They hate Jesus and they hate the word of God and they're powerful people. I didn't used to picture them, but I can't help it because they're real clear enemies that hate us and just want to want us to go away. And don't worry, the trumpet's going to sound and eventually we will go away all at once. Okay? There are very real enemies that want to curse us 
and they're cursing against the Lord. There's people that during the riots of last year, they blasphemed against Jesus and they chanted against Jesus as they destroyed private property. There are people who mock politicians who are for Christ and for his word and stand for his word, and they mock them. They call them derogatory names and derogatory terms. That's what they do. But when William Wilberforce stood up to the English Parliament to make slavery against the law in the British Empire, he had the same thing going against him too. He had many great enemies as he sought to set the slaves free. Lest we forget that, one of the greatest Christians of all time, 1800s. There's nothing new under the sun. Each generation and each individual and the church of every generation and age has to decide, are we choosing to be under the blessings and do the things, pursue the things that God clearly blesses and stay away from things that God curses? And as we do the things that God blesses, those who are cursed by the Lord and unwilling to come to the blessings, they curse those who are of the Lord. That's why Jesus said that he loves us, but the world will hate us because it hates him. And it's hard not to take it personal, but it's our identity in Christ. And there's a blessing pronounced on us. So when you cringe and you hear someone mock powerful Christians like Franklin Graham or Mike Pence and these people, listen, the people against the Lord, they're just doing what every generation has done against the Lord for those who serve the Lord. And if it grieves you, good. If it didn't grieve you, bad. So it's good it should grieve us because the things that grieve the Lord should grieve us. So watching people curse our faith our beliefs, and most importantly, our Savior, they're going to do that. And we have to have thick skin and tender hearts to recognize that right now in 2021. We cannot be thin, thin-skinned and hard-hearted when we see people attacking truth, righteousness, virtue, things that are praiseworthy and honorable for the Lord. We are engaged in a political realm because as long as politics decides worldview on freedoms of choice, Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, the unborn, family matters, definition of gender, and free market. We are engaged, and we're going to continue to be engaged. We're going to continue to pray, and we're going to continue to seek God's word, and we're going to continue to raise our voice in harmony with God's word in our generation, in our timeline, even as great followers of Christ have done in every generation. Like Ivan Prokhanov in Russia like so many others, Amy Carmichael in India. We are the voice of truth and reason and justice and what's right and noble. And people who curse God curse us. They're under the curse. And Romans 1 makes it very clear. They're not just under a curse, they're under the wrath of God. That's revealed against all unrighteousness of ungodly men who suppress the truth in ungodliness. And that's exactly what we see going on on this planet right now. Censoring, canceling, all that stuff. Those are ungodly men and women suppressing truth and righteousness. So our voice needs to be even louder. Not, not in a bad way, but in a good way. Because Jesus said, hey, if you tell these people to be quiet, these rocks will cry out. I don't want to be replaced and benched for rocks. Do you? No, man. I don't want God to replace me with rocks. We're singing out, I love you and praise with all my heart. That's who we need to be. And the church is blessed by God. And there's no curse that men with all the power and all the money in the world can bring against us. Do you think the money of the richest people on the planet, the most powerful people on the planet and their power, the most powerful governments on the planet other than ours, that suppress, oppress, totalitarian, authoritarian governments, do you think they're greater than the blood of Jesus Christ, even one drop shed on the cross? Of course not. 
We don't need to live in fear. We need to live in faith in 2021. We are blessed of the Lord. And by the way, I'm tired of people blaming the church for being the church. Not just non-believers, but even people in the church saying, well, it's the church's fault. It's not the church's fault. Evil men do evil things. So don't blame that on the church. Stop doing that. If you do that, stop it now in Jesus' name. Stop it. I'll tell you what I told Montebello on Sunday. Jesus loves his bride. Jesus loves his church. Watch what you say about the bride of Christ. Watch what you say about his beloved. He died for her. He died for her. Be really careful. A lot of people judge the church in 2020, including the church within itself. Stop judging that which Jesus loves and die for. The church is the church. And where there's a preaching of the gospel and faith in his word, we need to be as unified as possible at all times, now more than ever. We're told to endeavor to maintain the unity of the spirit because it's already there. Jesus has unity in his church. Men and women divide that unity through selfishness, pride, and self-agenda and self-will whether it's personal life or ministry decisions. So if you want to have one good goal in 2021, don't curse what God has blessed. God loves his church. Don't curse the church. If it wasn't for the church, this country wouldn't be anything what it is right now on this day. Wouldn't be anything. It's the greatest country in the history of humanity because of the church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Don't forget that. What he blesses, he blesses. And he blesses the gospel, he blesses his word, and he blesses his people. And all the cursing by those who would come against us cannot stop his blessing, his protection, his power, and his calling upon our life. What he's blessed, he's blessed. What he's cursed, he's cursed. And don't confuse the two. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? God has not cursed the church. God has blessed the church, and he'll bless us and see us through because we're salt and light. But we do say, nonetheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? And we want to say yes and amen, right? Let us be the people of faith in 2021. Now the second declaration of Balaam. So in that first one, though, Balaam said, I've called you here to curse them, verse 11, and curse my enemies, and you have blessed them bountifully. Like, okay, so instead of cursing, you bless. Make note of that. Verse 13, then Balak said to him, please come with me to another place from which we may see them, and you shall see only the outer part of them, and they shall not see them at all. Curse them for me from there. So he brought him to the field of Zophim, to the top of Pisgah, and built the seven altars, and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. And he said to Balak, stand here by your burnt offering while I meet the Lord over there. Then the Lord met with Balaam, and put a word in his mouth, and said, go back to Balak, and thus you shall speak. So he came to him, and there he was, standing by his burnt offering, and the princes of Moab were with him. And Balak said to him, what has the Lord spoken? Then he took up his oracle and said, Rise up, Balak, and here, listen to me, son of Zephor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Behold, I've received a command to bless. He has blessed. I cannot reverse it. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him. And shout of a king is among them. God brings him out of Egypt. He has strengthened him like a wild ox. For there is no sorcery against Jacob, nor any divination against Israel. It must be said of Jacob and of Israel, Oh, what God has done! Look, a people rise like a lioness, and lift itself up like a lion, and it shall not lie down until it devours the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. And then Balak says to Balaam, Neither curse him at all, nor bless him at all. So Balaam answered and said to Balak, Did I not tell you, saying, All the Lord speaks, that I must do? And so it was. The second oracle of Balaam was accurate and true to the word of God without variation or shadow of turning. So he's two for two on speaking the truth. That's very interesting here. But notice the progression of 
Balaam, where the first time he says, you have blessed them bountifully, and I called you to curse them. So he's saying, why are you blessing them and not cursing them? Now he says, neither curse them nor bless them at all. So now Balaam's retreating, saying, excuse me, Balak's in retreat saying, look, if you're not going to curse them, at least don't bless them. You see how he's, he's re- retreating. We're going to see this regression like, hey, I called you to curse them, not bless them. And then the second time he's like, hey, look, let's not curse them and let's not bless them. Let's just call it even Stephen and not have either. Because clearly this is not going the way I want to. It's a, you see this developing these four oracles and where it ends up, it's fascinating. Now, a bit of application we have here, of course, is there in verse 19. God's not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Of course, we're told in the Bible it's impossible to God to lie because God is light and there's no darkness at all. That's the beauty of building our house upon the rock. The person that hears the word, believes it, and obeys it. We're blessed people. His word is never, ever, ever going to return void. And I don't think I said this once in 2020, but I said it many times before then. Every problem I've ever had in 33 years of walking with the Lord and being in ministry, every problem, essentially, especially decision-making in ministry where maybe it could have been a better decision, has been not applying the word fully and completely to a situation. Where I have applied the word of God completely and fully in its context and proper application to any and every situation in my personal life, in my marriage, in my home, with my children, and in the body of Christ as a pastor, it has never returned void. The problems have come when I just don't like what it says, and like Drizella trying to wear Cinderella's slipper, I put it on and try and walk around in it, even though it's not the right fit. And that's what the Bible means when it says that God be true and every man a liar. That a, a workman not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, and that's for all of us, not just me. Let God be true and every man a liar. In other words, let him speak, and whether you like it or not, let him re- reprove you. Because the word of God is profitable for instruction, correction, and reproof in righteousness. 2 Timothy 3.16. And I have said this many times. It is much better to let God's word judge us and reprove and correct us so we can get right than to sit back as judge and jury of his word. Scary is the end for all eternity of the woman or the man who judges God's word instead of letting God's word judge them. And the wisest men and women in history have always let God's word judge them as opposed to judging his word. The scoffers are scoffers. And as it says that God catches the wise in their own craftiness for the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. God does not lie. All the promises are yes and amen. So we are on a firm foundation here tonight as the church of Jesus Christ. We have a firm foundation. We have a sure future. And we have absolute authority and power of eternity with the angelic host behind us and with us to accomplish all things. The same angels that released Peter from prison, right past the guard, released the the apostles from the Sanhedrin prison, those same angels are watching over us. They haven't disappeared. They're sent as ministering spirits to help those who are being saved according to the gospel of grace. And truly, as Elisha said to his servant, there are more of us than there are of them. So don't let big bully human beings scare us into forgetting that there's an innumerable angelic host behind us for everything God has called us to do individually and collectively as a church family, part of the Universal Church and the Calvary Chapel Movement in 2021. We are on the move. There's not one less angel on our side than there was in 2020 or 2019. So whatever the future brings us tomorrow, 
in our personal life on planet Earth in this country, whatever it brings us in the month of January and February, just remember Elisha saying there are more of us than them. And it's not against, it's just simply there's a thing to be done in our life. There's a will and purpose in your life and my life. And it's our highest pursuit and our only pursuit and our greatest passion to pursue it, get after it, fulfill it. And to that end, the angels are on our side. And if God be for us, Romans 8.31, then who can be against us? Nothing stopped the church in Acts chapter 1 through 28. And when the church is truly trusting in the person, the work, the character, and the promises of Jesus Christ, we get things done. And God works through us to make the world a better place and to bring light and life and hope and healing and deliverance to wherever he sends us. And that doesn't change because there's people that are opposed to that, wanting to curse what God has blessed. When you see them blaspheming and their boastfulness and their threats against what's good and light and true and good, just remember, they can't curse what God has blessed. And in Jesus' name, under the blood and filled with the Spirit, we are blessed. And they can't curse us and they can't stop us. You walk right by the guards and right out the prison doors. And that same God is the God we serve tonight. That's the God who's going before us in 2021 and beyond. That's the same God watching over our unborn grandkids. That's the same God watching over our, our grandchildren who are four today, Zippy. It's the same God watching over our adult children who are in their 30s. He's got this. He's on the throne. The king is coming. He's coming. And we're one year closer than we were in 2020. Isn't that good news? We are one year closer to the Lord's return than 2020, the same time. And that should give us great confidence. Because when he's coming, and he is coming, he's promised to come, all this will be made straight. Who knows how much authority he'll give you and you and you and you in the kingdom? Who knows what countries you've gone to to preach the gospel with little fruit on the sense of time, space, and matter, how you might reign, rule and reign over such kingdoms in another universe, in another dimension? Who knows if you lay your light down for Christ, what you might live for Christ for all eternity and the ages to come and glory to come? Because it's not about like the short-term fruit, which is good fruit. We measure fruit by Billy Graham, Pastor Chuck, and people like that, and like who we see in the mirror. We should measure fruit simply by obedience to what he's called us to do in our life. So we go on to the third prophecy. Verse 27 of chapter 23, we read this. Then, then Balak says to Bim, okay, please come. I'll take you to another place. Perhaps it'll please God that you may curse them for me from there. So Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor, overlooked the wasteland. Then Balaam said to Balak, build for me here seven altars and prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam had said and offered a bull and a ram on every altar. Now when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as at other times. This is interesting. To seek to use sorcery, but he set his face toward the wilderness. And Balaam raised his eyes and saw Israel encamped according to their tribes. And the Spirit of God came upon him. Let's just stop there for a minute. A little parenthetical on this as we're reading this text. He saw them in their order. Remember how we studied all in Leviticus, their order? Like the 12 tribes, the tabernacle in the middle, the three subdivisions, the Morites, Kohathites, the Gershonites, and then the three to the south, the east. The, and he saw them. And when you look at that, like, how are you going to curse that? Forget the cursing. Let's go. Forget the cursing. There's no, there's no sorcery. You know, like, isn't it crazy? Because he, he talks about sorcery. 
like hocus pocus, and yet God spoke to him. What an interesting person. But, you know, third time's like, hey, there's no sorcery that works here. I'm just going to go over here and listen to what God of the universe tells me. And he's looking at their layout, and he's like, man. That's like looking at the church of Jesus Christ tonight from eternity. If you think the tabernacle was beautiful, and the 12 tribes in the order under their banners was beautiful, how beautiful is a gathering of even two or more anywhere on this planet in Jesus' name tonight with faith? How much more is there to rejoice over when the, when the covenant, the everlasting covenant, and the bride of Christ is gathered in faith in 2021 on planet Earth to seek him, to praise him, to trust in his provision and his protection as we look at an uncertain future? Oh, that is, that is far more glorious than what Balaam saw here. It's, the church is so beautiful in God's eyes. You, us, we, we're, we're here. Yeah, we're the church. He loves us so much. And as beautiful as a tabernacle, with 12 tribes, 2 million people, in order, look. And Balaam's like, wow, can't, no so-so no, no so works here, man. <laughs> this is just, hey, I got to do whatever the king says. What a sight. And the spirit of God came upon him. And aren't you glad that the spirit of God is in us? See, this is the difference of covenants. Because in the Old Testament, the spirit of God comes upon somebody and they speak. As it says, holy men of God spoke as they moved. Or in this case, talking donkeys and the spirit of God against a betraying prophet who will betray the Lord shortly in this text. But the spirit of God still came upon him. It's like Paul said to the Philippians, like, I rejoice. Some preach the gospel for gain, some sincerity. But either way, I rejoice that the gospel is preached. If God wants to part his spirit... He's going to pour out his spirit. The message is true whether a donkey proclaims it or someone who's a total hypocrite. The message is still true. Truth is truth, and it never changes. So we're reminded of that here with the spirit of God coming upon him. Verse 3 says, Then he took up his oracle and said, The utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, the utterance of the man whose eyes are open, the utterance of him who hears the word of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with his eyes wide open, now, see, this is interesting because there's a progression now. Like his previous two things, he didn't say this. Now he's like, hey, uh, uh, my eyes are open. I hear the words of God. I see the vision almighty, and I fall down with my eyes wide open. God's working in him, but still there's, he just can't let go of the gold and the silver. We'll see that. He says in verse 5, how lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel, like valleys that stretch out, like gardens by the riverside, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. He shall pour water from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt, that is Israel, and he strengthens him like a wild ox. He shall consume the nations, his enemies. He shall break their bones and pierce them with his arrows. He bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who shall rouse him? There's Aslan, right? Okay, keep on. Blessed is he who blesses you, and cursed is he who curses you. Then Balak's anger was aroused against Balaam, and he struck his hand together. He struck his hand together and said to Balaam, I call you to curse my enemies, and look, you've bountifully blessed them these three times. Now therefore, flee to your place. I said, I would greatly honor you, but in fact, the Lord has kept you back from honor. So Balaam said to Balak, did I not also speak to your messengers whom, I sent, whom you sent to me, saying, if Balak were to give me his house full of gold and silver, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord to do good or bad on my own will. What the Lord says, that I must speak. And now indeed, I'm going to my people. Come, I will advise you what this people will do to your people in the latter days. This is fascinating. So at the very end of this third prophecy, Balaam goes, well, as long as I'm not getting paid, 
and the contract's null and void, I'm going to give you a bonus. I'm going to give you a bonus. I'm going to give you a fourth prophecy, and this one's free since the other ones were free. I'm going to tell you what's going to really go down. I'm going to take it to another level and show you what you don't want to hear, but what's true. How the Lord just works is how unsearchable are his ways past finding sometimes. Now, he said his kingdom, verse 7, shall be exalted, his strength like a wild ox. By the way, if you have a King James Version, that's the unicorn text. Is it the ox here? If you have a King James, it's, you always know, say like the, the, the word is translated unicorn in the old King James. It's, it's, they don't know what this, this wild ox is. Is it a rhinoceros? Is it some animal? But it's an animal of great strength, not clearly identified. So if you're into unicorns, there's your, there's your King James unicorn right there. Like Narnia, right? You know, like, <laughs> I love it. Okay, so there it is. And Zippy loves unicorns, so I had to point that out on her fourth birthday tonight. Since tomorrow's her unicorn birthday party, Zippy, there's a unicorn in the Bible. I've got a King James. I'll pull it out and I'll show her, okay? It'll work. Just all things, the pure all things are pure. But notice the progression again. So originally, the first prophecy oracle, uh, he, he, he blesses, and Balaam says, like, you just you bless them bountifully. Where's, where's the curse? Then the second time he blesses them, and there's no curse. And he goes, well, look, let's not curse them or bless them. Let's just not do either. Well, in the third time, look at the progression. Verse 9. Blessed is he who blesses you and cursed is he who curses you. Balaam says, you know what he's saying? Balak, you're cursed. He's saying to Balak, you're cursed. Because you called me to curse them. Blessed are those who bless them and cursed are those who curse them. Balak, you are cursed. He's basically saying like, what he doesn't want to hear and what is absolutely true. Like, hey, as long as all bets are off and the contract's not on void, guess what? You're cursed. You're cursed. Cursed are those who curse them. And you're trying to curse them. You are cursed. So it went from pronouncing blessings to don't bless them or curse them to, hey, you're cursed because you brought me here to curse them. It just, for the, for the, for the wicked... It gets worse and worse. And by the way, doesn't the book of Revelation just seem to get worse and worse? From seals to trumpets to bowls? I mean, it just gets worse and worse. It says even in chapter 9, and they still did not repent. It implies like there's, there's no repentance. They're just never going to repent. They just, they're, they're gone. They crossed the line like Balaam when he left with his donkey. You know, just crossed the line and they're not coming back and nothing's going to bring them uh, to repentance. Now, we don't know who those people are, but we just want to make sure it's not us. Verse 15, we pick up the fourth prophecy, and this is the amazing one concerning Jesus Christ. So he took up his oracle. This is the bonus oracle. The utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, the utterance of the man whose eyes are open, the utterance of him who hears the word of God and has knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of Almighty, who falls down with his eyes wide open. So that's similar to what he said in the third prophecy, third oracle. I see him but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and batter the brow of Moab, and destroy all the sons of Tumult. And Edom shall be a possession, Seir also his enemies shall be a possession, while Israel does valiantly. Out of Jacob one shall have dominion and destroy the remains of the city. Then he looked at Amalek and took up his oracle and said, Amalek was first among the nations, but last until he perishes, but shall be last until he perishes. Then he looked at the Kenites and took up his oracle and said, Firm is your dwelling place, and your nest is set in the rock. Nevertheless, Cain shall be burned. How long until Asher carries you away captive? 
Then he took up his oracle and said, Alas, who shall live when God does this? But ships shall come from the coast of Cyprus, and they shall afflict Asher and afflict Eber, and so shall Amalek until he perishes. So Balaam rose and departed and returned to his place. Balak also went his way. So this is how they ended. The three oracles and the bonus oracle. And on the fourth oracle, so it went from, okay, you blessed them when you should have cursed them. Then, well, if you're not going to curse them, then don't bless them. Then actually, you're cursed because you cursed them to, guess what? The star is going to come, the scepter is going to come, Jesus Christ, and he's going to crush everything that you think is yours. He's going to come to rule and reign. It's a prophecy of Jesus Christ. He's the star and the scepter. So we get a prophecy of Jesus Christ from Balaam. It's, it's fascinating. But again, the source of truth doesn't change the reality of truth. God is going to speak truth and preserve truth in contrast to falsehood. And Jesus is that star. He's that scepter. And he's coming. And all these Old Testament prophecies about Jesus ruling and reigning and what the kingdom is going to look like, it's coming. He is coming. And with this hope, we're to live, to be watching, to be ready, to be found faithful, whatever hour the king comes. Now, this concludes the four oracles. He did say about Asher, which is interesting in verse 22. That's an interesting prophecy because the Assyrians come from Asher. Asher is mentioned in Genesis 10 in the Table of Nations, and the Assyrians come from his descendants. So 600 years before the Assyrian Empire rolled into the northern kingdom and took them captive and basically conquered the world, they're prophesied here of what they're going to do, and they did do it. So there's a lot in this last oracle that uh, is recorded for us in human history and confirmed by archaeology, but in the end, it's really about the star coming out of Jacob, the scepter shall rise. Jesus is the king of kings. And as the third oracle said, his kingdom shall be exalted. And we exalt it here tonight in our midst, in our praise, in our worship, in our faith, in our obedience, our fellowship, and our very being of who we are. Now, it says they went their way. They look like a good match. They look like a good partnership. Look like a good collaboration, these two. But... The wicked devour one another. And they did. So they went their way. And now chapter 25 comes to us. And it's very important because chapter 5 is connected to 23, 24, and 22. And so we, we wrap up tonight in this last 10 minutes or so looking at the events in chapter 25. Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove. That's still in Moab. And the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people, that is the women, to sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to be all pure, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Now we know from other parts of Scripture, and I'm just going to read them to you, and I'll give you the verse references so you can check if you want to. But later on in Numbers, we're told that when the vengeance of God came upon the Midianites, who mixed with the Moabites, that Balaam, the son of Beor, was killed with the sword. He was struck down with the sword. We are told in verse 15 of that same chapter 31, and we'll get to it in Numbers eventually, that the women of Midian had caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to transgress against the Lord in the incident at Peor. 
So verses 1 and 2 is the counsel of Balaam. So when Balaam left, it would seem he found a way to still get his money. He could not pronounce curses on God's people, but he knew if God's people became wicked, God would punish his people, and that was the way to go. But as we know, that the Lord catches the wise in their own craftiness. Later on in the New Testament, we read of Balaam regarding these first two verses of what happened in Peor, where these women came down, probably sent the most beautiful women with their idols and had them bow down to their idols and then had sexual immorality. And it said concerning Balaam in 2 Peter, uh, comparing him to false prophets, this is 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, that they've forsaken the right way, gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his iniquity, a dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice, restraining the madness of the prophet, but not changing him from his course. Later on in the book of Jude, we read of Balaam that, Woe to them who have gone in the way of Balaam. They've run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit. And then finally, in the book of Revelation, in the seven churches of Revelation, Jesus speaking to him, which is very powerful because now we're talking red letters. Jesus in his glory, red letter Bible, to the church of Pergamos, the compromising church, church number three, he said, I have a few things against you because you have the, there are those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things, sacrifice to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. That's what he did. He said, I can't curse them, but I know how you can get them wiped out. You take your, your women and your idols, go seduce these men, and get them to into idolatry. What's the first great commandment? You have no gods before the Lord your God. Second one, you have no idols or graven images of the Lord. Go get these guys to live for their flesh rather than the Lord. Break the first two commandments and God will curse them. You can't curse them, but God will, will punish them. And that was the counsel. So with that background, we read again that the people began to commit harlotry at the women of Moab they, made, they did sacrifice to their gods, and they bowed down to their gods. And we know that they're involved in sexual morality. And Balaam gave the counsel, and he took the wages of unrighteousness, but he never got to really spend it. For the Lord had him slewn with the sword in a very short period of time after that. So he, he, evidently he got a lot of wealth. He did get the payoff which we don't read that in the back end of, verse 20, of chapter 24, but when you harmonize Scripture with Scripture, it would seem like he did. He came up with a way to get that money. And if we're so determined to do the wrong thing, the devil is... How many people sell their soul for the devil? You know, like I say, like the rock and roll guys who sell their soul for the devil. Like, But what Jesus said, what will profit a man if he gains the whole world and not loses his soul? You can have it all, and all that fame, all that power, all that wealth, and you lose it. In one moment, I wonder what he thought when some Israelite came up to him and just went, Fwah! or maybe it was a whack, or maybe it was two-hander, boom. Seriously, he perished by the sword. He had all that money. It worked. I had the plan. He's going home with his talking donkey and all of his goods. <laughs> no talking donkey tells me what to do. Yeah, and at some point. The guys came out of the sword like Lord of the Rings, man, coming out of an oar, not even blinking, just right, just wham. That was it. 
the wealth always gets redistributed, right? <laughs> it always gets redistributed. It always gets redefined. Someone's always taken from someone else and always gets left behind. It all gets redistributed. All these homes that people wanted in the 1920s in Huntington Beach, those people are gone. It all got redistributed. And someday we'll be gone and someone else will live in our castle. The only thing that matters is obedience to the Lord. Verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, Every one of you kill his men who are joined to Baal Peor. And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses, in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel, who were weeping at the door of tabernacle meeting. That's good they're weeping at the tabernacle meeting. Under these circumstances, that's a really good thing. We should be crying. Now when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, so that's the grandson of Aaron, the son of Aaron the priest saw it, he rose from among the congregation, took a javelin in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust them both through the man of Israel and the woman through her body. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel, and those who died in the plague were 24,000. That's a lot of people. That's half, almost the total of people killed in Vietnam over the entire Vietnam War. 24,000 people is a lot of people. The Jewish rabbis have forever interpreted this passage as that this man and woman were in the act of sexual morality when they were thrust through with the javelin. Phineas grabbed a javelin and he went right in there and he went right through them. Now that seems very violent and very gory and that might bother some people who don't like Jesus Christ but the the cross is violent and very gory as well. But here's the amazing thing about Phineas in this. This act, this one act God gives him a covenant. How many people did one act on one day with zeal for the Lord, with a good motive, to take life to save life? And who can understand that unless you've been in combat? Sergeant York, the famous war hero from World War I, when they asked, you know, he's the highest awarded hero of World War I for American troops. They said, how did you do it? Because you were a pacifist before the war. And he said, I took life to save life. That's what he said. Academy Award. Best picture. 1941. They don't make movies like that anymore. Audie Murphy. Sergeant York. It's worth watching. I'll give you a line from the movie. Old Alvin York done got religion. He's from Tennessee. And he got saved. And the Lord used, render to Caesar things are Caesar, to God the things are God. But in his testimony, and it's confirmed, He said he took life to save life. Now, most of us will never know what that's like. My dad saw combat all night in the Korean War. Very serious combat. One night, all happened in one night, an all-night gun battle with Chinese troops. There's a captain in his early 20s calling artillery rounds from Howard Sears two miles back. He had to get it exactly right because he could see him coming through all the flares. You could see the troops coming. They just kept coming and coming and coming. My dad's calling the artillery rounds. Australian troops has left. His U.S. Marine group right in front of him right there. So maybe my dad can relate to that. I've seen pictures that no one should see. No one else has seen in my family from that gun battle. My dad was in uh, a gun battle in Vietnam. He was shot in the back in a helicopter in Vietnam as well as a separate incident. So maybe my dad can relate to like when it's the lesser of two evils to take life versus to save life. Who can know such things? And I hope we don't have to know such things. 
but we might. I don't know. All I know is Phineas had a good motive, and it's an action in his covenant, in his timeline, with his generation, his people, that God honored as heroic, courageous, and life-saving. And God made a covenant with him. Don't ever let the devil ever use the word of God against you with things you don't understand. And I don't think most of you would have trouble with this story, but in case you do, put it in your file for things I don't understand, but God is good and God is light. Let this judge you, but don't you judge this text. This is so profound, God made a covenant with Phineas. That should get our attention. Because people kill each other every day. Like, 50 people get shot every weekend in Chicago, right? And people kill each other every day, all over the planet. But this wasn't a vindictive. This was to stop a plague that was destroying God's people. And in his timeline, in his covenant, in his world, in his generation, this is how the plague was stopped. And we talk about how God looks at the heart, right? When the men wanted to keep Passover after being with a dead body. Remember that back in, uh, earlier on in Leviticus? Same principle. God knows the heart. Then it says in verse 10, I'll pick it up in verse 10, 24,000 died. Verse 10, it says, Then the Lord looked to Moses, saying, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel, because he was zealous for my zeal among them, so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. Therefore, say, Behold, I give him a covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant, an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. Now the name of the Israelite who was killed, who was killed with the Midianite woman, was Zimri, the son of Salu, a leader of the father's house among the Simeonites. And the name of the Midianite woman who was killed was Kazbi, the daughter of Zur. He was head of the people of his father's house in Midian. So both of these were leaders amongst their people. It was an unequally yoked, like it says in 2 Corinthians, what fellowship is Christ with Baal, or the communion of Christ with the table of demons? It's exactly that. There is no fellowship with light and darkness. People muddle things, but God is light and there's no darkness. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, verse 16, Harass the Midianites and attack them, for they have harassed you with the schemes by which they seduced you in the matter of Peor and the matter of Cosby, the daughter of a leader of Midian, their sister, who was killed in the day of the plague because of Peor. So we close with this thought. When God's people, who were blessed by God in the covenant, and they're on the cusp of the promised land, and all these wonderful things God has for them, it's like a stupor came upon them. They couldn't be cursed by sorcery, but they could be stumbled by their own flesh. Oh, what a sobering warning to all of us here tonight. No weapon fashioned against us will prosper, but we can destroy ourselves. And the devil will tempt us to do so. And they, they fell into a stupor. And at that flashpoint, like we talked about Saturday night, if God says, don't go, don't curse them, they're blessed, and we just receive that, we'll be good. Like Daniel purpose in his heart not to defile himself. But if we start to just say like, well, you know, this is a gray area. That might be the off-ramp to a dark area. Now more than ever, we need to be zealous for the Lord. Not in a self-righteousness, but zealous in a consecration like never before. If the church, whatever, whatever we went through in 2020, there, we could definitely say it was a sifting and a refining. And now more than ever, people that come to church 
want to come to church. I know you want to be here. No one's playing church in 2021. When I was at Montebello on Sunday morning, they're in the warehouse, and it was about 40 degrees. It was very cold in that warehouse. But they're allowed to be indoors, but they can't be in the sanctuary because it can't fit everybody. They were full capacity in that warehouse with the social distancing. They were wearing heavy coats, but I'll tell you, everyone wanted to be there. And I'm sure there's new people there that weren't there before, like here tonight, a year ago. And there's people that were there a year ago that aren't there now. We're all being tested, we're all being sifted, we're all being refined. And we just need to, we need to find that gear right now. I've always been fascinated by the story of Phineas. And he thrusts him through the spear. And then it says God made a covenant of what with him? A covenant of blood, a covenant of war, a covenant of like wrath. No. Yeah, Frank, a covenant of peace. Go think on that one when you can't sleep in the middle of the night. How the javelin becomes the covenant of peace. Blessings on him and his household in the context of his timeline and his covenant and his generation. Which just shows us it just takes one woman or one man with a simple act of obedience based upon love and devotion and sincere passion to the Lord to break a plague upon a people. And that should inspire all of us for the simplest things of obedience to the Lord in 2021. One person, one disciple of Jesus Christ, male or female, young or old, who truly is zealous for the Lord and is willing to stand for what's right and confront what's wrong with the angel of his eternity and the son seated at the right hand of the father by our side can change the destiny of an entire people. Because that's exactly what happened in this text. And this thing, this story, is written for our admonition.